Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Fundamental Podcast from Ken's Five, the official station of the San Antonio Spurs. My name is Tom Petrini. With me today is Evan Klosky. Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We uh, we don't have Jack Sony in here, so you're just going to have to deal with a couple of New Yorkers, everybody. We apologize. This could this could be a four hour podcast. But the the happens. good thing is the good thing is I don't feel as bad about talking over you as he does. So I think I can actually stop ball a little bit here and maybe keep us on track. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But um, before we start here, we're going to talk about the Spurs stock market today. And uh, I just want to ask, Evan, you're not a licensed financial advisor, are you? No, not that I know. Okay. Well, you would probably know. Uh, And (laughs) I know for a fact that I am not a financial advisor. So I'm just going to say right off the top here, this is not financial advice, and we are not financial advisors. Any money you invest can be immediately lost. Just ask anybody who's holding the bag on GameStop. So, <laughs> or AMC. Uh, we we or, might this this might this might sound like a joke, right? Oh, haha! Tom's talking about the Reddit bros that took down hedge funds. Of, of course, it's not financial advice. We're talking about basketball players, right? You can't invest in basketball player stock, right? No, you can. Duh, you can. And now the market is like more commodified than, you know, it, it is Wall Street, basically. You can invest in rookie cards and actually in highlights. Uh, I was looking at NBA Top Shot, which allows you to buy packs of highlights uh, and, you know, trade them on, in an online marketplace. Uh, the DeMar Revenge Dunk against uh, uh, Toronto costs $500 now uh, on, on the open market. Uh, the most expensive thing I saw was the Cosmic Edition, whatever that means, of Lonnie Walker's three against uh, the Rockets to cap that crazy run he had, uh, which sold at $6,900 and $69. So uh, is it worth that much? Well, somebody paid that much for it. So, you know, the numbers are made up and the rules don't matter. This is not financial advice, but... We are going to talk about some Spurs stock because I don't know about you, Evan. Uh, coming into this season, a lot of lot of analysts were pretty bearish on San Antonio's prospects, not expecting mm-hmm. much from them, expecting a, a step back. Uh, but the the Spurs kind of doubled down on their position and are seeing gains. Uh, but the uh, definitely the ups and downs, the volatility of a team in transition. Um, the highs have been very high. The lows have been horrible. And we <clears> saw uh, both ends of that pendulum swing in the last week with huge, awesome wins over the Boston Celtics and Denver Nuggets, who are great teams. And then two back-to-back blowout losses to the Grizzlies, who are not bad, but were shorthanded and came into San Antonio and beat them down twice. I believe John Morant said, came into your trap took over your trap yeah that's basically how it went um so before we get into the individual assets that the spurs are working with their assets their liabilities their potential for growth uh let's talk about their their overall portfolio the returns you're seeing so far and uh you know your your thoughts on on the last week so here's the thing right when you're building out a portfolio Stocks are going to shoot up, they're going to shoot down, but over the course of time, 
you will have some sort of median line that will direct you towards what it's looking like. All right. If you were investing in the San Antonio Spurs and had their stock this week, you would have seen an extraordinary growth into a plummet. But in the end, the, the plummet still averaged out to what we are in the long picture, right? So I just want to reiterate that it's never as good as you think, and it's never as bad as you think. So just want to, want to throw that out there. And, you know, losing back-to-back games to the Grizzlies, I think, was a little bit of a perfect storm, per se. Um, I, I, I'll even mention this. I think in the back-to-back, they beat the, they beat the Nuggets. Then they have the back-to-back against a young Grizzlies team, which is A, a bad matchup for them as is, but B, um, they were 12 days off. You have a young team who was itching to play, and they were as fresh as can be. The Spurs coming off the back-to-back, coming off two really tough games against the Celtics and the Nuggets. Um, you know, I thought, that, I thought the back-to-back game, they didn't, they didn't play too poorly. They played like a team a bit lethargic from a back-to-back. Hustle plays weren't there. Defensive lapses were there, but the offense was great. Uh, you know, or I shouldn't say great, but the offense was pretty darn good. The Grizzlies, um, I think, in the last eleven games, have only given up one hundred and ten plus points once, and that was the San Antonio on Saturday. So the Spurs got theirs. The only problem is the Spurs couldn't stop the Grizzlies, and it was a combination of a the Grizzlies having a great game plan. It sure helps when you have 12 days off to build a game plan for your next handful of opponents, especially because the Grizzlies knew that the Spurs were the first game on the schedule since all their games are really canceled up until the Spurs game. So it's not like they're game planning, game planning, and it's getting canceled. It was like, hey, here's your start date. So you got a whole 12 days to be like, all right, let's go for the Spurs. Let's go for this team. Let's go for that team and start stacking game plans being ahead of time. Now, eventually that will catch up to the Grizzlies when they got to get all these games back into play um, in the long run. But in the short term, it helps them a lot. And the thing is with the Grizzlies, the bench was playing out of its mind. I mean, Jang. Everybody uh, on that team. Everybody on that team. We talk about how the Spurs give up, like they let one guy get loose every game, right? It's like, who's that guy? Why does he have 20? They had nine guys in double figures. It was everybody on that roster that got I th- loose. I think Dylan so. Brooks. It, I think Dylan Brooks on Monday is the only player from both games to shoot sub five hundred for a game. That's insane. And and like when you watch the film back, like Tyus Jones um, made some insane shots on great defense against that that tremendous Spurs secondary unit. Shots that you want Tyus Jones to take. Um, right. You know, uh, on top of that, again, Jordy Jang. Um, Jordy Jang was knocking down threes. I mean, hitting everything. Now, now I thought yeah. I thought that was a, a little bit of a bad matchup for Yacht because Yacht wants to patrol the paint. He doesn't want to really get that far on him in three-point range, and he kind of let him take it. I thought sometimes maybe a bit too soft for a guy that continually is proving that he's hitting shots. Um, the Anthony Melton was lights out. So, I mean, there are just a bunch of these guys that – really just stepped up and I'm not saying that the Spurs were playing great defense and it was like, wow, like how are all these guys making these crazy shots? No, but part of it was, especially, I think more of this on Saturday than on Monday. I thought Monday was 
was way more of a trash can game. You know, if we, we sprinkle that in with Golden State and Utah, I think that was the third trash game. Uh, Saturday was really the game where I think it was more of like the Spurs kept coming back and then the Grizzlies would make some stupid shot and then it would yeah. totally throw the Spurs off because they're like, man, we're playing great defense. We're trying to get back into this and they're just hitting some turnaround jumper or slow-mos out there freaking looking like an, a, an all-star. Um, I, you know, I know and, a lot and, of... and you just tip your cap to them because it just like they're making their shots. The Grizzlies played offensively two of their best games that they're going to play the entire season. Yeah, and and Absolutely. you know, uh, again, partly bad defense, but partly them just hitting everything. They statistically should not have been hitting that many threes. I don't care if they're wide open, going fifty percent back to back games for a bottom five NBA team from three point land. You want them to shoot threes, and they were making them all. It was like. You know, so so what are you supposed to do? You just tip your cap. You say heck of an effort. And Monday, I thought the Spurs, the Spurs panicked. They played great up until midway through the second. And then when um, they brought in the starters again, transition bucket, transition bucket for the Grizz. And then they started missing shots and panicking that carried over onto the defense. And then they just fell apart. So I really, I really thought that they were frustrated. They were absolutely frustrated. And you, and you felt it. You touched on something I want to get to there. Um, you know, in in one of the wins, I can't I can't forget which if it was Boston or Denver. Um, you know, Patty said that it basically came down to trusting the game plan on defense. You know, and the even even when it wasn't going their way, they just kept doing what they were doing. Even when the other guys were hitting good shots, they just kept doing what they were doing, and eventually it worked for them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a bet, essentially. Anytime you're playing defense as an NBA team, unless you're truly elite, you got to gamble. And what the Spurs did in these games against Memphis was they basically shorted their three-point shooters hmm. and got burned heavily. Uh, they, they had to pay up, and it happens. Um, but the, the defense, the team defense uh, – has been a struggle um, in, the, in the past couple games. Uh, and we'll get to sort of the individual reasons why in a second here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's crazy because this team can go from competing with the best of them and, and defending at a high level in, in games when it matters most against the league's top players, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, clamp those guys up and then get torched by the D'Anthony Melton. So, uh, you know, the, the game to game variance for this team is something that for sure needs to be cleaned up. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I want to also mention this, by the way, the Spurs did not do that bad on John Moran, right? The first time they played John Moran, he absolutely eviscerated San Antonio, but the Spurs in that game played one of their best, I think still to this date, their best offensive game. So remember, we, we thought that was going to be an outlier. We're, we're post 20 games now. Still looks like an outlier. So that's what it took to beat the Grizzlies the first time around was hitting a ton of your shots. But the Spurs played pretty well on John Morant. And John Morant made some ridiculous plays because he's John Morant and he's going to be a perennial all-star one day in this league. Um, and you just, you know, very similar to Steph Curry. Sometimes you have a tremendous player making tremendous plays and you say, well, makes sense. It happens. You know, you want to buy stock in John Morant? He's like, Apple, 
Okay, going to be surefire, no issues moving forward. Um, just it's a high price right now, but just put it in there. Leave it be for ten years, and you'll make more money than you think you could ever make. Uh, if if right you now. got in on if you got in on Josh Stock when he was uh, you know playing college, nobody knew who he was. Before all of those highlight reels hit ESPN, you're you're rolling in it right now because yeah, that is a bona fide star. Um, well, let's talk about some of the assets and liabilities that the Spurs have, um, and we'll start with their top line. You know what's what's been making them money, what has been winning them games, getting them to eleven and ten this year, uh, and briefly into that fourth spot in the Western conference before plummeting out of the playoff race in the last two mm -hmm. days. Uh, but that's just how tight the West is right now. Let's start with DeMar DeRozan veteran expiring contract worth $27 million this year. Uh, a lot of questions coming into this year. Would he even take that option and stay? Would he sign and trade somewhere else? Um, and we, saw him say, I want to be here. I want to buy into what we're doing with the young guys. And we've seen one of his better seasons in the league, one of his more efficient seasons in the league, mm -hmm. um, averaging almost 20 points a game, uh, over six and a half assists, under two turnovers, about a steal a game and five rebounds. And he's shooting 49% from the floor. He's getting to the line almost seven times a game, and he's shooting two threes a game at 35%, which is an area of growth that uh, I don't think a lot of people were looking for from him, uh, mm -hmm. but has certainly paid dividends. So what have you seen from DeRozan so far this year, uh, and what do you think it means for his prospects? Uh, you know, not not so much for the individual investor, but like, big picture, you know, mm -hmm. could teams be interested in, in paying a premium for him? Yeah. So first off, the Spurs have unlocked something with DeMar DeRozan. I think what DeMar is now versus when he came into San Antonio is a different player and for the better. And I think to an extent has revived his career where you think that he can last a little bit longer than what you originally thought maybe, you know, two years ago, or even at the beginning of last year. Um, so, so first off, if you invested in DeMar at the beginning of last year, you're making money on your stock, especially this year. Now, a lot of people I'm sure are really down on DeRozan because he had a couple of bad games. Uh, I will say this, if you're going to look at, at some interesting trends, uh, he is terrible in back-to-backs. Uh, doesn't look good, fresh legs. Um, he, he could have been the difference maker in that Saturday game. You know, he could have been the one that, that really brought them to a victory. If he had a, a typical DeMar game, he, he had he five points, it. he had five points. And I was like, Oh, anytime he puts up a stinker first half like this, mm -hmm. it's because he's, you know, he's saving it for the second. I, I, I feel a bull run coming and it just yeah. never came. He got, he got and, it technically got bounced and, and, or he didn't, he didn't get bounced. He he just got he was ineffective and got taken out of the game two things one credit dylan brooks he just locked up head. demar uh yeah. locked up demar was all over him so obviously it's a bit concerning and there are not many players out there who are as big as dylan brooks and can hang around demar like he did got all up in his jersey so that's that's a concern 
Um, again, though, not many teams can provide a Dylan Brooks to do what Dylan Brooks did to the two, three zone, which is not really a DeMar thing more than it's a, a whole team issue. But the difference being is when teams go into a two, three zone, the Spurs need to mentally, mentally shoot out of it. Okay. They, they get into the two, three zone and it takes them a few possessions before they finally get into good sets to where they stack one side, they get it in, get it out, and then they start moving, get the defense bent, and finally then go and do their business. But the Grizzlies kept switching in and out of 2-3 two, two, zone so that by the time that the Spurs recognized it, they just ISOed. And you can't ISO into a 2-3 zone. Like, it's not going to work ever. They tried that against Golden State, failed. They tried that against Memphis, failed. I love that the Spurs are trying to attack the rim. They do a tremendous job at that. But so often they get into trouble just trying to bulldoze your way through defenders when that is not the play. So many times in a 2-3 zone, DeMar is able to get to a spot to pass out of it to a wide-open three-point shooter. It is on that person to then just let it fly. But there might be a confidence issue for some if they don't make a shot, if they want to you know, set up a precedent inside. I don't know. But just let it rip. You know, we, they just – that, I mean, I, I, I see that too. I see uh, Keldon and Lonnie are better shooters than their volume would suggest. And especially against that three, that, that two, three zone, it looked like every time somebody caught it, they were thinking, you know, they, yep. they talk about 0.5 seconds to, to make a decision. It was at least a second mm-hmm. last night, you know, metaphorically speaking, like they, they just took too long. And with what Memphis was doing, you're right. They needed to just shoot, and they were tentative in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of brings me to my last question on uh, DeMar here. Uh, is there too much redundancy in the Spurs portfolio with guys who drive to the basket? And if you're buying on the long-term prospects of some of the younger guys, do you you know, maybe think that there's – there's too many drive first, shoot second guys on this team for DeMar DeRozan to really be at his best. To an extent, but my only issue with that is DeMar is still the lead facilitator on this team. DeMar is, you remove DeMar from the equation and you think the Spurs aren't hitting threes now. We saw what happens when DeMar is out of the equation. They, like in those two games without DeMar, they were atrocious from deep. Atrocious. And it's not a surprise. I'm telling you, most of the time, it's DeMar DeRozan setting up an open shooter for three. Why? Defense collapses, leaves an open shooter out wide. And not to mention, even beyond that, DeMar's vision is amazing. He's able to make really tough passes and navigate his way through a pain or a sticky situation to find the open shooter. Like, if I'm Keldon Johnson, I am studying DeMar tape. I'm studying what DeMar does because Keldon could be what DeMar is and and better, you know? I think Keldon could be a better version of DeMar. But he he is so far behind where DeMar is as a facilitator to where Keldon can't take on that role. That's just not in his instincts right now. So, like, yes, there may be a few too many drive-first players, but... I do think this isn't a situation where you need to take away from your portfolio. I think it's a, it's a matter of just 
reanalyzing where these stocks are bunched together. And when I'm saying that is just, I, I said it last week, I've been thinking this a while. I don't know if the starting lineup as is, is the right combination of players. I just don't. I don't think that DeMar and Keldon work together in a starting unit, right? That's where I think the problem is. I don't think it's a problem that DeMar and Keldon are both heavy drivers. You know, I, I really would like Keldon in the second unit. And I think that probably Derek White has to be more of a three-point shooter as far as, you know, when DeMar is on the team. and and. Derek can then have his minutes in the second unit or whatever it might be in different units and then become the pick and roll guy and, and get to the basket, something he does very well. But I think Derek White has to really be um, somebody who's diversified a little bit more in his game and understand which rotation he's in and play to that rotation versus like, I'm going to drive and I'm going to just, I'm going to kind of do this and that he's got to, he's got to melt himself. So again, just speaking about DeMar DeRozan, I'm not overly worried about having too many penetrators. I think there needs to be a more cognitive effort to shoot from deep. These players can all shoot from deep. It's just yeah. a matter of ramming it home and saying, hey, like maybe don't always draw. Like if their defense is going to give you this, take it. Stop trying to right. force it. So I, I, I'm not worried. I'm not, I'm not selling stock. And uh, I'm holding like right now on DeMar DeRozan. He's made me a lot of money. I've been on DeMar for, for a lot longer than a lot of people. Like I was like, if this was GameStop, I was on at the beginning with DeMar DeRozan. So I'm holding tight. And, you know, that's not to say that I won't reanalyze in another 10 to 15 games. But for right now, I like what DeMar does for this team. I think he's necessary. I think he's absolutely necessary. And we have seen when DeMar's not scoring points, the Spurs aren't doing diddly-poo offensively. And that is a sign of what's to come when you remove DeMar from the equation. And some players might be like, oh, well, you add usage to other guys and, like, other people will be able to perform. And, like, I hear you. I get it. DeMar is consistent offensively over the course of a year. Like, he just is. And especially in the fourth quarters, like, especially in fourth quarters, he is your guy who can get you a bucket whenever you need it. And I don't know if there's another guy like DeMar on this roster who can do that. DeJounte has shown flashes. Derek White, you know, previously, not this year, previously has shown flashes. But um, just talking about a, a, a dog that can, that can get into the paint and get an easy bucket down the stretch when defenses really tighten up, like DeMar's your guy. I, so um, I, I think I, so I, much of the rise for the other guys has been directly related to them sharing the floor with him and getting opportunities from him because it's not just threes that they get from him. Um, Keldon was the recipient off a he, – he hit a back cut and DeMar was driving and hit him with a jump pass in one of the games that I've, I've quite liked. And DeMar – I think you tweeted the clip, but he found Patty in the corner on a play – where it wasn't traditional hammer where he's, you know, got the ball basically near the basket and is passing mm -hmm. it to the corner. He hit Patty off a hammer screen from the top of the key, mm -hmm. uh, like cross court. And, and it was gorgeous. Um, his playmaking is spectacular and elevating the play of a lot of guys. Um, and another guy who falls into that and, category and to just, a lesser extent is DeJounte. Yeah, I, but. I just, I just want to say this quickly. With DeMar, if the Spurs front office believes that DeMar will not sign with San Antonio after the year, if they feel like they got no shot at him, 
then you, you probably have to sell stock. I mean, that's just a realistic. Now, I, we don't know that. So I'm assuming that the Spurs could make a play for him. I would think you give him, you can give him a solid contract short term. I think for two, if you give him like a two plus one, I'm very interested in DeMar. If he wants a long-term deal, like beyond three years, now you're playing with fire. But if we talk about a two plus one and DeMar just wants a ton of money, the Spurs can make that happen and still get who they want in the offseason because they have tons of cap space. And not to mention uh, the Jonte and Derek White, their money is backloaded. So you can probably get DeMar off the books by the end of that contract before you have to worry about more money coming onto the table. Right. And, so, you know, I, I, I think that. that, no, I, I feel that. And, uh, you know, I, I saw a, a couple of stories talking about how DeRozan, uh, you know, is like, he's obviously the most tradable asset on the Spurs in terms of other teams being interested. And he could probably fetch a pretty penny uh, just given all of the other deals that have happened. Um, you know, all of the teams trying to make moves to contend. Um, really think it comes down to whether he wants to be here or not. And, um, you know, the indications publicly that we've seen are that he does. Uh, he's not, you know, Bradley Beal not participating in the timeouts and chucking balls and not having <laughs> fun. Um, but, you know, I, I'm somebody who, who has come around on DeRozan. You know, I, I was last year especially pre-bubble, I was like, I was one of those people who would have rather seen DeJounte and Derek and, you know, all of those guys getting reps in and, you know, flip, flip DeMar for what he's worth. Now he's added to his value and he's added to his value so much that I'm, I'm back in, I'm back into the fundamentals of this stock. You know, mm -hmm. I like, it's not like GameStop where it's a dying breed you know, retail brick and mortar, not, not going anywhere. Like he's modernized his game and that makes him a much more valuable asset than I had thought in previous years. So, yeah. um, you know, really important growth from him. We talk about growth with the young guys, but the Spurs old guys showing some growth as well. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's good for DeMar. Let's talk about DeJounte now who has been, uh, sort of to a lesser extent, another shot creator and distributor for the Spurs. Um, he is averaging 14.6 points per game, 5.2 assists, and 1.7 turnovers, 1.3 steals, uh, 7 rebounds per game. Um, he obviously, I feel like every game, were on the internet talking about what DeJounte Murray did, if it was efficient or not. And most of the time through assists and through shooting, it's been pretty efficient. Um, he's shooting 45% from the floor, uh, only 30% from three, uh, but he's getting to the line a little bit. He's distributing effectively um, and, you know, getting other guys going um, play his defense to me has been a little up and down, a little boomer bust. He gambles a lot. Um, but what are, what have you seen from him through the start of this year? Uh, and, and would you say that he's clearly like right on that rung below DeMar as far as, you know, Spurs players through the first quarter or so? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, 
a lot of Spurs fans have been holding DeJounte's stock for a long time, all right? And it's pretty much been okay. Uh, it's had surges and then the injury. And then last year was a bit disappointing based on the hype that we had before the injury. So now we're finally starting to see those gains, which is great to see. There are only two players on this team who can really create their own shot. It's DeMar and DeJounte, at least when you look at the, the clean the glass numbers of the amount of their baskets, which are assisted, they're sub 50%. So this is the without team. Derek White in there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that doesn't count. Uh, he, he hasn't reached the, the threshold of where it's a legitimate stat yet. So, um, you know, those are the two guys. Um, so that's great to see. It's also tremendous to see he's plus 60% near the rim. That is something we've been asking for. He's got to finish. He has to finish. And he's doing that this year. That is the number one thing when you look at the growth and the difference of what DeJounte we've seen in the past versus the DeJounte we're seeing now is he is finishing at the rim. So that is huge. I mean, projecting him moving forward, that is great. Getting out in transition and finishing on the other end is really where he's going to shine. Um, bless you. <laughs> uh, and, and beyond that, you know, I, I think he sometimes gets caught up in being able to get to the basket and finishing and, and maybe we'll have a bad shot or two here or there. Overall, when you're looking at DeJounte's stock, you would like to see the three-point percentage be better. It would really, really add to a dangerous element in his game. If he can make that 35%, I mean, that's a big jump, but if he can get up to 35%, I think he is a he's he's an awesome dude. I defensively speaking, he's always going to be great. I do think he is a bit gambly. Um, I think you mentioned this on a, on a on a past big fun pod. He's much better as an off ball defender, kind of causing havoc, sticking his hands out, getting the steal that way. And of course, you know we saw it against Boston and Denver, like. He'll get up in your grill and he'll do that traditional poke um, and, and get the dunk the other way. He's good for at least one of those a week. Uh, last week, we got two of them. So, you know. Big moments against good players, too. Monster moment. Huge headliners. You know, you saw that all over the place. Um, doing it against Kemba and um, Murray. So, the other Murray. So, yeah. So, I mean, you're riding with DeJounte. And as I said on Twitter, it's really – it's a really rough look to be a DeJounte hater this season. And sure, you know, you can chirp on the one, like, la like his last game, not his greatest game, okay? So we have that one and the Jazz game where I would say that he really stunk or he didn't, you know, he didn't really play his best. Beyond that, he's been really damn good and he's been consistent. So, yeah, like, I'm sorry, DeJounte's not going to average like 25 points a night. That's not what he does. He, he is a... Potential for a triple-double every night, and it's mostly like a 13, 11, 10 sort of deal. But that's fine. That is fine. He's making an impact, a positive impact, and especially in those minutes in the beginning of the second and the fourth, traditionally speaking, uh, things have, you know, with Derek White are kind of up in flux. But, um, yeah, we're loving DeJounte. We're loving what we're seeing. He's taking the steps forward, has room to grow. And um, the deal that the Spurs gave him, made a lot of sense because if yeah. you know he was becoming a free agent this year 
you would have probably played uh, paid a little bit more than what you paid Derek White. Yeah, I totally agree. And but before I go into my Dejounte thing, I just want to say I thought it was funny that I muted myself so I didn't sneeze, interrupt you, and then you interrupted yourself to say God bless you. That was that made it's, me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I saw the sneeze and I thought maybe that the the Zoom just went out and I didn't hear it. So I was like, <laughs> I'm just gonna. I don't want to be the jerk. Gotta cover your bases. Did, did, I don't want to be the jerk who just ignores you when you sneeze. I gotta, you know, I gotta watch your back. You know, I gotta let Evan, you know, I'm here for you. Breaking news: Evan Klosky felt compelled to say something. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Dejounte. I mean, if if you came into this year short on Dejounte, you're paying through the nose right now. Um, <laughs> and he has been. I would say, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Keldon next. And there's an argument for which of those two has been the Spurs' second best player this year. But I think DeJounte has been more consistent. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest thing that people have been wanting from DeJounte. It's not, you know, like 35% from three would be great. If he was averaging a little more scoring, that would be great. But I think the thing that most people wanted to see out of DeJounte was, you know, okay, he's had the, he's had the talent, he's had the, the physical tools. How is he thinking the game? And this year he's thinking the game at a high level, certainly the highest level that we've ever seen him think it at. And he's, he's credited that to work with Becky Hammond and the rest of the coaching staff. Um, but, you know, he and Demar are contributing to a, a near historic assist to turnover ratio on this team where they're really valuing every possession most nights. Um, and I think that's the thing that excites me most about DeJounte is his growth there, his patience, his ability to read the game. Uh, I think that's something that will serve him and the Spurs well through, throughout the season and his consistency and just bringing it every night. Um, Keldon, another guy who brings it every night, uh, at least in terms of competitiveness. Uh, you know, sometimes the shot's falling, sometimes it's not. But you always know Keldon Johnson is going to be in attack mode. Um, and we saw last night Spurs down, you know, 23 points, and he sparks a run that gets them back within 10, just wanting it more. Um, and... You know, you you could call him a stat patter if you want to, but what I see there is a guy who just competes any time he's out on the floor because that's who he is, that's what he is, that's what he does. Um, and, you know, when, when DeMar drives through contact and screams, it's like a, hey, ref, I got fouled. <laughs> but when Keldon drives through a guy for a layup, he's just like, ah! <laughs> You know, I think what like, Demar Demar said after the after the Nuggets game that he's an effing child. Yes, yeah. it was so funny listening to the players after uh, after Keldon's big game and or maybe it was the Boston game. I'm forgetting it all coming together, but um, he was just like Demar was just like, yeah, we got a lot of dudes on his team who scream for apparently no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Patty also said that. it too. So, and, uh, yeah, it was just funny. Here's, here's why Keldon Johnson, he's like the r slash Wall Street bets Twitter trending pick to like get in on. And honestly, 
you missed the train. Uh, train left the station a long time ago in terms of Keldon stock. If we're talking actual Keldon stock, like if you want to go get a Panini Prism Silver Keldon Johnson card, it's going to run you about a hundred bucks more than it would have like a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he broke, he broke out in the bubble. He has now taken a starting job and is performing incredibly well in it. Uh, let's see. He's averaging 15 points, seven and a half rebounds, 2.2 .2 assists, a steal, half a block, uh, and 1.5 turnovers a game. Um, and he's shooting 48% from the floor, 34% from three, 79% from the line. Um, and he just never stops attacking. Like this guy will, will always go to the rim to his own fault, no matter who, who's in, in the way he's going. Um, and that has led to some kind of bad shot selection, I would say, but it's also led to him making some really fun, tough shots. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, while you may have missed the train on on Keldon, the train I think is going to a spaceship. So you you still got time to get on the spaceship. Your spaceship ticket is going to be more expensive than the train ticket. But this kid's still going places, right? And it's up. Like he is he has shown uh, a really high level understanding, I think, and he's shown what he that he knows what he needs to improve on. You know, he's talked about needing to improve as a passer. And I saw in that, in, in that Memphis game, he made a couple of really nice dimes that made me say, Oh, that's something new. That's something where he's clearly like, you know, putting the effort in. Um, so are, are you with me on Keldon? You diamond hands again, this is not financial advice. We are not making any advice that you buy any investing uh, vehicles of any sort, but are you buying with me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, long. If we're talking long-term career, like especially with the Spurs, you know, I think Keldon Johnson has the potential to win the heart of the city of San Antonio, like Manu Ginobili did. I think nobody will be like Manu, but I think Keldon and the effort and the like, just the relentless competitive spirit that plays really well in, in any market, but especially here especially with some of the dudes who San Antonio has had and a lot of people have watched uh, grow up in the organization, like what Keldon, what Keldon brings to the table, uh, you can't teach. So yep. uh, he's and, working and with talking, a proprietary energy source. You know, yeah, this and, is, and, this is Tony Stark's arc reactor. This is, and, this is not something you can just replicate. And when I talked with John Calipari last year, uh, after the bubble, you know, he mentioned when he recruited Keldon, he said, like, maybe he was a bit of a tweener, but he watched him and just saw this relentless competitor out there. And he was like, I need this guy. Like, I need this guy. And that is what it comes down to. Having said that, all right, so I'm, I'm buying stock. Love Keldon. He's, you know, I, I think even last year I wasn't as um, bullish on, on Keldon as others might have been. I think now I, I see all-star potential, whereas last year, I don't think I necessarily did. Um, having said that, I think, I think his current price at what Spurs fans are buying might be a little bit inflated based on current value. Like how I would, like where my valuation of Keldon Johnson right now today is compared to where 
the stock is, I think is a little bit of inflation, but that's okay because we're, we're still buying and we know he's going to be a right. good stock long-term. You're not gambling on, you're not gambling on him. You're investing in him. Correct. You know, so that, yeah. And, and you mentioned it, I, the energy and the competitive spirit bails him out of some bad games, bails him out of some bad moments, right? There are moments and stretches where you're like, man, Keldon, you are making me angry right now. And then all of a sudden he goes on this run and you're like, oh, now I remember why I love Keldon. Don't worry about that bad stretch. You got it. Like you helped us win this game. And so there's a little bit of a risk reward where I'm wondering if that's just part of the deal you're going to have to always have with Keldon. There's just going to be some empty possessions. There's going to be some volume there that you don't love. In the trade-off, you're going to get some greatness, and that's going to help you win a bunch of games. Um, still need him to tighten up some things. Still need him to tighten up help defense. There's a lot of things to his game where it needs some growth. And I think he gets – I don't want not, – not within the team internally. I think from fans, he gets bailed out because he's a dog. I mean, he is a, yeah. he is a monster on the court. But, yeah, I mean, Keldon is the, – the scary part about Keldon, I guess, is that in my eyes, he has a lot to work on and he's still performing the way that he's performing. So that just tells you the potential growth that he can have because there are weaknesses, but he's still a pretty darn good player on this team. And there is not one like national writer who hasn't done a, a bit on Kelvin Johnson and just, oh, yeah. and just him just, Driving to the rim does not give uh, a damn about who is in front of him. I wish sometimes he did, but um, nonetheless, yeah. I mean, it's he is. He's a level of fearless that you can't teach. He is he is the guy that's living in his truck with like you know all of all of the GameStop shares and watching the price go down and saying I'm still holding. He. He does not care. He has he has that mindset where he's just going for it. Um, and somebody somebody asked uh, Pop like, "Hey, have you talked to him about like maybe not, uh, you know, risking his life every time he drives to the basket?" Yeah. Um, and you know, Pop Pop said it comes down to decision making. You know, and we're we're talking about that with him. Um, but you know. I'm not concerned about Keldon's durability. I'm concerned about the durability for anybody that he collides with. And Keldon seems to be one of those guys who like, you know, the energy around him is if he bumps off something, the speed increases and like, you know, he, he just keeps going. So um, he, he's another one of the real drivers of San Antonio's over over performance this year, I think. Um, And then one guy who, I know a lot of fans are high on, I know a lot of people in the Spurs organization are high on, uh, has had a bit of an underwhelming year in the stat sheet, uh, but I think has been uh, pretty solid in a lot of ways, and that's Lonnie Walker IV. Um, You know, he's basically the fifth option here on offense for the starting unit. Um, We're going to talk about LaMarcus Aldridge in a second here, but Lonnie is averaging just under 12 points a game, uh, three rebounds, two assists, not doing too much in the stat sheet, uh, but he's starting, which is better and deserved from last year. Um, Excuse me. 
Uh, he's shooting the ball well from deep. Uh, 39% needs to improve at the rim. Um, but I think his defense has been really important for this starting unit, especially as a replacement over a guy like Bryn Forbes. So mm -hmm. can, you know, what have you seen from Lonnie and uh, especially with that framing, you know, when the Spurs replaced Bryn Forbes in their portfolio with Lonnie Walker, what did they do? No, I mean, that was a great move for a lot of reasons. Um, you're really not losing that much from your three-point percentage. I, I wish there was a bit more volume there so that Lonnie can flex a bit more. But um, the defense is night and day from what him and Bryn provide. Having said that, I think – Lonnie Walker is a guy who Spurs fans have been piling money into that stock. I think, I think a lot of Spurs fans are very high on Lonnie Walker and his future. I, I'm afraid to say that Lonnie Walker, you're not going to lose money on Lonnie Walker in the future, but you might lose a little because there's a chance. Here's, here's the thing about Lonnie's, um, stock. There is a chance for it to shoot up. There is like, boom! like if he does a few things, you mentioned it, he has to finish at the rim. With his athleticism, his ability in transition, if he can finish at the rim, he is a dangerous player. He is an awesome player, but he doesn't finish at the rim in transition because he doesn't draw contact and he doesn't get to the line, and it makes him shy away and do this crazy stuff while he's moving at top speed, mind you, to try and lay the ball in. That is a problem. And where we wanted DeJounte to show that growth, and he has, Lonnie has not. So he, Lonnie's pretty much doing the same thing he did at the rim that he did the year before. He's not finishing there, and that is a problem. And we hope that it can change. And I want to remind everybody that Lonnie Walker should have been a senior at Miami this year. He is really young. So there is still tons of potential. And it might lead you to get a really good deal on Lonnie Walker. You know, I think the Spurs do this really well. They bring up prospects slowly. Their value is decreased because they don't have a monster role. They're able to extend you for four more years at a pretty reasonable price. And then they let you have the keys to the car. And then it's like, look at this deal that we just got. Look at this. You know, I, I think I think there's there's some there's, they know what they're doing when they do there's something. very wise asset management uh, yeah. on the part of the San Antonio Spurs um, for the most part. So, and so, you know, with yeah. with Lonnie, I think um, <clears throat> one one move that I'm looking for, right? Uh, we'll talk about Derek White coming back in a second, but Lonnie is one of the people who stands to see his circumstances change the most with Derek White coming back in. And I think uh, you, you mentioned Derek White on the bench unit. I think we'll probably see Derek White pull into a starting role, bring a little more of that shooting uh, that, that he does. That. I would love to see Lonnie Walker come off the bench. I, I don't think that's a demotion for him. If you give him the Manu role, tell him you control the offense for this second unit, that's a fantastic role for him. He's been fine spacing the floor, playing defense in that starting unit. But 
you know, if we're talking about things that could potentially trigger that meteoric rise, like, like what sends Lonnie Walker to the moon? I think going to the bench could help uh, because he'll have a lot more license to shoot and to, you know, be aggressive and, and drive his, his ability to create his shot is an area where he's grown quite a bit in the last year. And um, facilitating. I think when yes. he has, the, his he passing get many is so underrated. He doesn't get many People opportunities, sleep. which is why it's not anything we talk about. But when he does have the opportunities, he makes some of these passes that are very DeMar DeRozan-esque. He's got it in his arsenal. But as you mentioned, he doesn't get many opportunities. He is the fifth option in that starting offense. And we did see in those two games with DeMar out, Lonnie Walker surged. He took more yes. of a, an aggressive role. And so, so there are reasons to believe that there is a lot of potential with that stock. I, I'm not shading on that at all. Right. I'm, I'm just saying that his his current value is high based on what the market is telling us with Spurs fans. It's so it's a, and it's volatile a too. From game to game, it's volatile. And there's a chance that you're not going to lose your whole you know kit and caboodle. I don't know where that's staying. Who came up with kit and caboodle? What is that? That somebody let me know what that is. But, I don't know. You're the you one know, that said it. Yeah, I, I don't know where I heard it from, but it's a, it's a saying. Uh, <laughs> so you might not, you're not going to lose like a ton of Lonnie Walker. I'm just telling you that there is a chance that his ceiling is a three and D player. Now, a lot of people on Twitter are, are thrashing Lonnie's defense. I think that there are times he's put an ISO against big players and he, he does not do well in those situations. <laughs> when he goes ISO, when, when it is him, Versus a player who is bigger and stronger, he gets bullied. So something that Lonnie has to do in the future is get stronger. Like Keldon, he's 6'6", but he's a big frame. He doesn't get pushed around. Lonnie gets pushed around. He's able to fight over screens. He does a lot of things that people don't necessarily see him do. And not to mention his guy uh, will get screwed by LaMarcus Aldridge in a pick and roll. And, and that happens with Keldon too. It happens with, the, like, with all of them. It just... We'll get to that later. But uh, nonetheless, Lonnie is not a bad defender. I think he could be better in some areas, and I think that's going to come with him you know, gaining some weight. Same thing with Vassell. Vassell, I think, is a better defender than Lonnie right now. But if you, you, know, you flip-flop them, it's going to be similar. Like Vassell against bigger dudes is going to get punished a little bit. Like a lot of the Spurs as a whole and what we saw against the Grizzlies, right? The Grizzlies are a bunch of – Six nine to six five dudes who were at two hundred and thirty to two hundred and forty pounds, and when you look at guys like Lonnie and Derek and Dejounte, they just they don't have that size. And I thought they got both. I thought like not a lot of teams present those like options. But when you're talking about small ball, like the Spurs got out small balled by the Grizzlies. Yeah, it was like, oh, you're gonna do small ball. We're gonna do it better than you because we got dudes who are bigger than you who are who are not only bigger. Height-wise, but also girth-wise. So, um, yeah, my overall thoughts on Lonnie is I do think a, a move to the bench would help. I do think – you're la laughing at the word girth. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> the big fundamental podcast where a bunch of, a bunch of children are here. <laughs> it's a funny word. I now have used in about five. Right. Kit, I've used kitten caboodle and girth. Um, 
I'm, we're leaving that in. There's nothing wrong with girth. That's in your head. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So again, with Lonnie Walker, um, I'm not, I'm not selling the stock. I, I believe in its potential for growth. I am also cognizant of the fact I might lose some money of him just becoming a three and D player and a three and D player is just fine. He's, you know, I wish he'd be a bit more consistent. There's some days we lose him and, I just want Lonnie to know that he can put up a ton of threes and I'm all for it. I want him shooting more threes. He's about 40% from three. Shoot more threes. I, I agree that he should. A great I, point shooter. I agree that he should shoot more threes. I disagree that his ceiling is three and D. He's always going to be three no, and no, D no, and I, a I little more. His floor. Sorry, his, his floor, floor, his floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I misspoke there. Uh, if his floor is three and D, it's three and D as a guy who can jump like Lonnie Walker. And I've, I've waxed poetic about it before, but I mean, the dude is a pure athlete. And I, I think, well, he's definitely struggled with his size in some of these matchups. I think he's also defended guys like Andrew Wiggins well, you know, and, you know, played up a little bit at the three pretty much defensively. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I'm looking for most is one Locking in with communication and help defense, off-ball defense. I think that's his biggest area for improvement defensively. And two, you know, I want to see him bring it every night, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you're in if you're if you're holding Kel, uh, if you're holding Lonnie's stock, you're doing it for the long haul. You're not worried about game-to-game -game fluctuations, but you would love to see those fluctuations sort of normalize and level mm -hmm. out somewhere. Because uh, he has games where he really brings it. And then he game has games where, you know, he'll completely fade. And part of that is a function of being the fifth option on offense. Um, you know, it's a function of having a job that isn't as offensively focused. But he talks about it, just being able to bring that competitiveness, that fire every game. Um, you know, it's, it's not quite the same uh, motor that Keldon Johnson has where it's just mm -hmm. always running. Um, and, and that's not really a lock on a, a knock on Lonnie. That's more about how special and rare what Keldon has is. Um, <clears throat> but you know that they're working with Lonnie to get more consistency. So yeah, holding and uh, waiting to see how the stock responds. If indeed he does move to the bench here. Um, Let's talk about the fifth starter, LaMarcus Aldridge, who uh, has gone, gone through some restructuring of his game, uh, is getting toward the uh, end of his career, and, and made some changes to shoot more and dribble less. Um, and those changes have been going pretty well. Uh, but it's the concerns on the other side of the ball that have people fearing the end is nigh for uh, Aldridge's days as an effective NBA player. So uh, is his drop-off on defense that we have seen um, concerning you to the point where it's like maybe he shouldn't be starting anymore? You don't have a choice. It's a personnel issue. that You're stuck with him. It's, I, I would love to buy his offense. I think his offense and what he provides to this team and spacing and his three-point shooting has come up since a really rough stretch in the beginning of the year. Like, you know, an, 
a lot of people out there do not give what LaMarcus does on offense enough credit. Like there was, um, what game was it where he scored five points or so? Um, was it, was it the Boston? No, it wasn't Boston. Was it the game before Boston? He scored like five points. There've been a couple this year where he disappears. Yeah, um, uh, you know, maybe it was the Denver game, but regardless, okay. He went out there and he scored five points and people are like, ah, oh, what a waste of money. Like LaMarcus is, is trash. And here's a green, you know, five point performance. I think it was Denver, by the way, Denver took away his ability to shoot. Like, right. Like, I mean, the Spurs, whenever the Spurs want, and it infuriates me, they did it at the beginning of the Memphis game on, on Monday. And then they just stopped. LaMarcus was eviscerating them. They're giving LaMarcus the, the long mid range jumper. They're giving LaMarcus the three pointer. He can hit those shots especially the long mid-range jumper, it's been money. Like, it's been insane this year how well he has done with that long mid-range jumper. If they are giving that to you, if they're saying, we are going to stop DeMar from driving, go shoot this with LaMarcus. Let him shoot it. He's a great shooter. Now, once in a blue moon and once in a while, he's going to have an off night offensively. And Papa needs to recognize that and just bench him. And go to Yach, maybe try Drew for a little bit. Um, and you're probably not going to make those changes until the third, until after he gets his time in the third quarter. But like you saw Monday, LaMarcus was a liability on the court. Pop stopped playing him. It didn't matter because, um, you know, the offense was stagnant. But, and we'll get into Yaka Pertle. But um, overall, you have to sell because he is a liability against some teams. He's an absolute liability. If, if all LaMarcus's job was, was to be a rim protector. He can still do that. He can still do that. He, he can't, he can't guard the pick and roll. He, he is, he is guessing. And not only is he guessing, he's jumping. Like he is so not confident in himself and his abilities to guard that, that he is literally just praying that he guesses right. And he's always guessing wrong. Like he always jumps a second too early and then the guard passes it off. Or he always backs away a second too early, and then the guard shoots it. He just doesn't have the feel for it because he has no confidence in his ability to guard it. And especially on Saturday, uh, it happened at the end of the, the first half on Monday, which I think, you know, the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies started scoring off transition. Then they just attacked LaMarcus, and it was bad. Uh, on, on Saturday, the Grizzlies won that game by just eviscerating LaMarcus in pick and roll situations that like, if you look at the, the key of that game and what brought Memphis over the top in their big run, which eventually the Spurs couldn't catch up from, that was it. That's not going to change. It's over. Like there, I'm confidently saying that the Marcus's defense, that is, that is unfixable. And there are games where you cannot play him. They, like, it's, unfi- it's, it's unfixably broken. Is there a way you can mitigate the damage though? Yeah, I think you had I mentioned propo- the, I proposed, the zone. I proposed this, yeah, I proposed this question to you. Like, I think the Spurs should try two-three zone with Lamarcus. Is it is it a surefire plan of success? No. And sometimes they did it against Memphis. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Memphis did a great job getting some some balls into Brandon Clark there in the middle of that zone, and he hit the little <laughs> floater. And I don't know. Maybe you live with that shot. Like to me personally, I would live with Brandon Clark shooting floaters versus an easy layup, you know, or John Morant getting to his spot. Um, I think they, I think they need to go two, three zone more. I, that is like, until I see it in a, in a larger sampling, 
um, you know, maybe that's the last ditch effort to make that stock go back up. But it's very clear that LaMarcus is a problem defensively. You see it in the defense. Keldon, uh, when they were locked in that first quarter, I thought they played well on Monday in the first quarter, the starters. Keldon and Lonnie, they're all creeping, like uh, Derek White when he's playing. They're all heavily creeping to the paint. They know that he's not going to do his job. And what does that mean? Their guy is wide open. Rotations get all out of whack. And then what ends up happening? We get the, the meme of LaMarcus jumping a million feet away from his defender because, you know, a lot of people went to help. The ball swung around. And the guy that he needs to go pick up is a million miles away. And he doesn't have the giddy up to do that. Um, but even beyond the defense, if the dude could rebound, I would, I would be able to overlook some of it as well. He can't rebound anymore either. He, like, when, when Kelvin Johnson and DeJounte Murray are your, your engine to get defensive rebounds in that starting unit, like, it's, it's, it's He's got one problem. jump. He's got one it's, jump. One, it's it. But he's not, yeah. like, he's not even <laughs> – And sometimes he doesn't even time. jump. It, it, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, I need him to, like – I think a lot of his career, he was able to work off his, his athletic, his, you know, his gifted athletic abilities and his height and just snag all these boards. He needs to go back to the fundamentals, find a body, box him out. Like there was the other day that Jang um, had, a, had a plus one bucket, I think, or, or just an easy layup because Keldon had to go body him up down low because LaMarcus was on the other side, just watching it all happen. You know, and, and like, and it's not Keldon to go yeah. box out the, the six foot 10 guy, you know? Like, that's not fair. It's not fair. Like, Keldon and DeJounte are working overtime to try to overcompensate for what LaMarcus isn't doing defensively. Um, and, you know, and that's to Lonnie, that's to all of them. It's just, it's just bringing, like, to me, if I was a player in that unit, like, I would just be like, I don't know what to do. Like, I, like I'm doing my job. I'm trying to do his job, too. And it just, like, I'm frustrated. That's how I would yeah. feel. So... I think I, I think almost certainly um, this is the last year for Lamarcus in San Antonio. I know people want want to trade him, unless there's an injury. I don't see a team giving up much for him, and the Spurs don't have personnel to replace him. Like, let me tell you something: Yak replacing him doesn't help offensively. Like, like him in the starting unit, I think clutters it up. You need Demar to have space, not clutter. So. I think Yak and his role is perfect. I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, in projecting to the future, like if you're going to bring DeMar back, like Yak has to stay in the secondary unit. Having said that, you know, like you can't start Drew in that role either, you know, unless yeah. you're going to work at, unless you're going to work at a trade for like Andre Drummond and say, Hey, here's your, here's your guy who's on one, you know, on his last year of his contract, we'll give you our guy and something for Drummond. Like, and and we'll take we'll, you know we'll we'll give you a second round you know I don't know if they would even do that because Cleveland's in it right now but so I I I agree with a lot of what you said I sort of disagree on Yak and we'll talk about him in a minute um, we could actually segue into him right now mm-hmm. um, because you know we saw in the bubble that this team can do pretty well with Yak and Pertle starting and anchoring the defense and you know it's not like you're playing four on five on offense with yak right he does Mm -hmm. things that are important for the offense 
um, primarily setting screens and rolling to the basket and getting these guys extra possessions uh, on the, on the glass. So, you know, he, he really needs to uh, finish strong. That's something that hasn't improved too much this year. There's still way too many plays where he goes up soft and uh, a couple of those don't go down and, and it, it winds up costing this team. His free throws are abysmal. Uh, his his range is not really much outside the the restricted area, but he can be really effective in that restricted area. Um, and his he's a much more dynamic pick and roll defender than Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, you know he's he's still going to have some struggles on the perimeter against smaller guys, uh, but he's a little more switchable. He can do a he, he got a good block on Desmond Bain last night when he switched out on him on the perimeter. Just swallowed up his shot right at the end of the shot clock. Um, and, you know, he can move his feet a little better. He's a little longer. He's a little springier. So you have a guy who can at least be your, your solid center, you know, play that traditional center role and and he and Demar have good chemistry from from when they played in in Toronto. So I I'm not sure I agree that Yak has to stay in the second unit there. But um uh, let me let me you know, rephrase I, I think it would be I think it would be early to put him in there now. Let me let me rephrase uh because probably the differential is um so putting Yak into the starting lineup means your offense is going to inherently be worse numbers wise but your defense is also going to be approved the differential is what we're wondering in the in the handful of minutes that he got when lamarcus was out this season differential wasn't in the positives the defense couldn't pick up what the offense wasn't wasn't adding you know like even like lamarcus when he's in the lineup like the offense is one of their better units so that is something that he does provide um no, hold on if a door is trying to Back my dog from, from sleeping outside. You're good, Shay. You're good, Shay. Come on. You want to stay outside? There you go. Good girl. Um, so, all right, let me, let me backtrack. So with, with Yaka Pirtle, um, offensive numbers go down, defensive numbers go up. We know that. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if he is the best match, at least this year for starters. Maybe I'm speaking too soon for next year. Um, there's, I mean, when it comes to defense, uh, when it comes to the defensive side of things, like Yak is everything you want in a big. He is a rim protector. Everything that Marcus doesn't do in pick and rolls, he's able to do. He's able to get out in the three-point line, defend some of the best guards out there in the NBA. We've seen him handle his own. Um, you know, I, I love Yak. I think Yak is a stock that's consistent. I don't think he's going to be anything that you're going to look five years down the line and be like, wow, look at all this money I made. I don't think you're going to look five years down the line and be like, man, I lost so much money from him. I think he's probably like going to be like, you know, a, a buck or two below is, you know, whatever he's trending at. Um, but, but I love Yak for this team. I love Yak and his future with the organization. I thought it was a great move to bring him back. We were all asking for it and he provides a, a um, a great job for a team that's in need of bigs. And obviously down the road, we'll talk about 
how the Spurs need to get a big in the offseason because that is the number one concern. But, um, you, you know, what Yak is doing right now is great. People are getting to hack a Yak. That's a problem. The dude uh, has the yips from the free throw line. And, you know, if teams are going to get desperate at the end of the year, the fear, I mean, obviously they can't do it in the final two minutes. But, you know, in, with about five, four, three left, teams might try to get him out of the lineup and it might force Pop's hand to go more of like bring Yak in, take him out, do what you can. Uh, we saw that down the stretch against Boston. Boston. Exactly. Yeah. You're gonna, and that's um, probably what you're going to need to do. It's so a lot I, more, more gray hair for him because he's going to have to like coach really hard at the end of games. But I think this is what's necessary because you need I to think, play Yak at the end of games. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think – I understand not being able to bench LaMarcus Aldridge, but you can certainly have Yak out there to finish games and the Spurs mm-hmm. will be better for it, I think, especially if they're in the lead, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my thinking is with defense at a premium for this team, not just because they've been struggling the last two games, but because this team consistently has said when we lock in on defense, when we can string a few stops together, we can really get going. Um, and... You know, they've never said that to me about offense. They've never, they've never said, yeah, once, once we get a few buckets, we're really unstoppable. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's once they can figure out the defense, then they get rolling. And so I'm thinking that, you know, in a vacuum, sure, you, you, you want to see if the defense can improve more than the offense gives up, you know, mm-hmm. production. But in reality, I think what you see is a compounding effect where, you know, like let's let's say your favorite stock to gamble on starts losing money real quick and you panic, you get scared, you get out of it. Um, you know, that that is sort of what can can happen here where these the runs compound on themselves. Spurs will play some good defense give up a tough shot, go against a, a tough set defense now, not get anything, turn it over, boom, they're out in transition. They get an easy bucket. Now you're going against a set defense again. Um, and that's that's what happened to them several times in these Memphis games. So the, the runs build on themselves, and I think the way you stop the run is you you get good defense in and then you take care of the ball. And I'm not worried well, about Yak turning it over. Mm-hmm. So. I, I want to piggyback off that, right? We've talked about this all year, that the Spurs team does extraordinarily well. That's not turning the ball over. The past four games, so and even beyond that, the Spurs have one of the best transition defenses in the league. But against the Grizzlies, it was atrocious. Why was it atrocious? They turned the ball over. And we're learning in three of the past four games, uh, you know, Boston was a, was a mess as well, I believe. Um, the past four games, they got put into positions they're not used to, and that's turned the ball over. And the transition defense stunk. And we haven't been able to truly evaluate the transition defense because they haven't been turning over the ball that much. So it's really just been off of live rebounds, and they're decent with that. But now they're getting into a point where they're turning the ball over, and they're realizing, oh, crap, every time we turn the ball over, they're getting two, they're getting three, they're getting something on us, we're hacking them. So I think they need to center themselves again. And I, again, I believe that the Grizzlies put them in panic mode twice. I think, as you, as you mentioned, they just, 
they were doing some things right. The Grizzlies were getting some good shots out of when they were doing something right, uh, making tough shots. And then they panicked and got frustrated. And then that led to weird offensive things. And then they just thrashed them in transition and, and, you know, made it worse. Or, you know, they made a couple turnovers. Memphis scored. It made it seem like it was getting really bad in their heads. And then it affected their defense on the way back. And so, yeah, they just got to stay a little bit more composed and, 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 and re recenter themselves to saying, Hey, we're a team that does not turn the ball over. We have to remember that. Yeah. You know, you know what it really was, you know what the, the obvious problem is. Derek White came back and Jackson made that funny meme that I told him to make and it yeah. did really good for us. Yeah, so you mu- you mush- obviously it. totally mushed it and screwed the whole thing up. Uh, mm-hmm. But seriously though, I have seen some people talk about Derek White's return, messing up the chemistry. And that's really not what I'm seeing uh, out there. Is it for you? No, uh, again, it's an easy narrative to play because Derek White came back and they stunk two games. I get it. I think, I think in Saturday's game, Derek's legs were not there at the end of it, defensively speaking. Um, and, then, and then Monday, he didn't have a great shooting night. Just a reminder, Derek White did not have a preseason. He's been injured twice. He's only played three games now. So there are going to be some growing pains. Derek White can't just magically become Derek White again. So – and on top of that, I think there's an ability to figure out what you're doing with rotation. So, um, you know, not saying that Derek White ruins chemistry by any means, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, the group was playing together as one bunch for a long time, especially that second unit. Um, and now you're throwing White in there. Like White is going to cheat a lot more as a help defender, and he's going to get you. He's going to get you a block, a charge. He's going to make some great plays, but. It also gets a little bit gambly, right? So if you're having him in versus Devin Vassell, Vassell isn't doing that stuff. He's so lanky and and is such a savant defensively. He doesn't have to do those games. He just does them naturally. So defensively speaking, maybe there's a bit of a of a learning curve there for the other players to realize, hey, like I'm getting more help. Or for Derek White to realize, hey, you play on a really good defensive unit. You do not have to overhelp. Like Yak has it covered. Rudy has it covered off the pick and roll. Don't worry about it. You don't have to go off of your man because I thought at least in Monday's game more than Saturday, Derek took some gambles that I thought were a bit unnecessary that, you know, everything was covered and then his guy was wide open for a corner three and they drilled it. And, you know, he contests it. He's able to get back, but it wasn't necessary. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do that. So there's a bit of a learning, a learning curve there. But overall, like, you know, Derek White's not the issue. It was, Derek White was not the issue, okay? It just, um, thing, it just it was a bad matchup. And, again, I think Grizzlies played out of their minds on Saturday. And then the fact that the Spurs played a bottom five game that they'll play all season compounded itself on the loss that happened the previous game. So I think – Derek White will figure it out. But if, if you thought, and yeah. we mentioned it last week, and we said it before, like if you thought that Derek White was going to come back and everything was going to be great, that's fine. Short term, it's going to get worse. Long term, it's going to get better. By now, all right? People are going to be down on Derek White. They're going to be down the Spurs. By now, it's going to get better. 
you know? And maybe I would say, wait a couple of games. It might get worse, but I'm telling Might've you, dip. it's going, it's, yeah, I mean, get it at a low, get it at a good price. But uh, life will be so much better with Derek White. And I think the big thing is put him in a starting lineup. Stop. Like, just put him in a starting lineup. Enough of this easing him back in, getting his legs underneath him. Let him, let him do it with the starting unit and then play him in different matchups. If you want to limit his minutes, play him in the starting unit, pull him out, and then, you know, put Lonnie in or whatever it might be. Um, I just think that he, you know, let him and DJ run the show. And, you know, uh, honestly, you can play a two, three zone with them at the top and LaMarcus in the middle. Uh, you know, I, I would say Keldon, Keldon and Vassell at the other end. And you got a pretty darn good defensive unit. I mean, like you're pretty, you're pretty much covered there. You can even go Lonnie Vassell and just go with a bunch of three point shooters. And well, I, you got to put Demar in. I forgot. Yeah, about you have Demar. But yeah, you stick Demar in. The, yeah, stick Demar in the corner. Um, I, you know, I still think Vassell has a chance to be best in the starting unit where they're struggling the most defensively. But man, whatever. You know, if you're playing a two three defense, might as well put Vassell in. And he I mean, has that... very little usage. So offensively speaking. So he can play the three and D role that Lonnie's playing right now. Only you can allow Lonnie to do more in the minutes in the second unit than what Vassell is needed for right now as a rookie. But you know, we'll, we'll talk about Vassell in a second. Um, but you know, I, I think that uh, in the in the starting unit there, if you put Derek White in, you're getting a willing and strong three point shooter. In the bubble, I think he had like eight attempts per game and was shooting around 39%. So, um, you know, if if this team has been struggling to let it fly a little bit, I think Derek White in the starting lineup would certainly help with that. And like I said before, I want to see Lonnie with uh, a bigger offensive opportunity off the bench. Um Let's talk about the two guys uh, most impacted by Derek White's return, and that's Patty Mills and Devin Vassell. Um, you know, I asked Pop, how do you continue to find minutes for a guy like Vassell, who has proven himself pretty well through the start of the year, um, you know, when you get a guy like Derek back? And he was basically like, you got to figure it out game to game. It's always different, uh, you know, lawyerly non-answer. Um mm-hmm but his minutes have definitely gone down a little bit. Um, what are, what are you seeing there? And what do you think the best way to manage that uh, minutes crunches? Uh, I think, I think on Mon, uh sorry, on Saturday, Vassell in his minutes in the beginning, I thought he made some mental mistakes. There was a play where he didn't rotate to the right side and Patty passed it to nobody out of bounds. And Vassell was supposed to be there. And I thought, and then there was uh, another play defensively, I think, that he didn't help appropriately. Oh, it was the final shot. Um, Devin's guy went across Rudy. So Rudy's expecting Devin to follow him, right? It's man-to-man. So he's expecting Devin to follow his guy and contest the shot of his dude. But Devin just stops and essentially allows Rudy, who's further from the ball, to be the one to contest it. And you can, and you saw Rudy afterwards being like, dude, like follow your guy, like follow him. He's, he's if he's going to make it easy on you, make it easy. So I, I kind of understood in a, in a punishment sort of way Saturday, um, especially because they couldn't rebound worth a, a darn. So that's why we saw Lyles 
Um, but you got to play Vassell. You have to play Vassell. You're a team that is stinking defensively without Vassell on the court. I don't think that's a coincidence. I really don't. I, I, I think that with Vassell, you are a better defensive team. You are. And he's a tremendous three-point shooter. Like, he is, he is so stable. Right now, as a rookie, he is so stable. Obviously, we're buying stock in Devin Vassell. I don't necessarily know where his ceiling is. I know you're super high on where his ceiling can be. Um, I've always been, even during the draft coverage that we had, I've always been a little bit lower on his ceiling. But regardless, he is steady Eddie out there. Play him. Play him. Find him minutes. I don't care. Find him minutes. He needs to play. He needs to play at least 15 minutes a game. He just he 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 is so smart out there. He makes the defense better. And that's why. I just rather him play with the starters. If if Lonnie's going to be out there just being a three and D guy, just have Vassell do it. Vassell doesn't need usage right now in his career at this moment. He doesn't. You know, if he's going to have to earn his licks, then just let him play the three and D role, which is Lonnie's role right now with the starting unit. You're not losing any poundage, right? Like, I mean, they're they're, they're both like pretty scrawny people. Um, so just I I know happen. this team is very uh, you know like team focused, they love each other and they, they seem to genuinely care most about the team goals. But do you think that might rub people the wrong way if the rookie came in and then, you know, immediately got a starting job that other guys have been sort of hoping for? I don't know. If they're all for team goals and you're winning games, who cares? <laughs> right? I mean, sure. I'm not, I'm not saying – But they're that, also like, people yeah, look, with I mean, they're, they're, Yeah, I understand that. But, like, I'm not saying to necessarily – like. I'm sorry, but you can take away two or three minutes from Rudy Gay. Um, you can take away two or three minutes from Patty or Derek or DeJounte. I mean, it's not just the old, it's the youngs too. Like, I mean, you know, it just, I think there's a combination of finding 15 minutes for him, you know, and Lonnie, yeah. Lonnie might be a casualty as well. And that might piss Lonnie off. Um, but you have to figure it out. I mean, the main goal here is not to make nicey nice. It's to win games. Like, and you, I mean, I'm just saying like from a coach's perspective, right? Like as a leader, like as the one that has to steer the ship, like everybody can be mad at you. You shouldn't be mad at each other, but you can be mad at the head coach. So, you know, um, pop defers to the, the vets always has. We learned it last year. He doesn't stray away from it. And Rudy's in a contract year, so I, you know, I don't think he's going to bench him. And not that Rudy, Rudy necessarily deserves to be benched. So he's been pretty good. I think this he's year. been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we, we can like, talk about the olds here. Let's do that because yeah. there are really yeah. two more guys that have gotten rotation minutes, and that's Patty Mills and Rudy Gay. Um, I think Patty's aggressiveness has been on display. I think he's continued to be a liability defensively, although they've used the Patty trap a number of times, a number of different ways. Um, but, uh, you know, both him and Rudy, uh, for me, have been like blinders on scorers for a lot of this, mm -hmm. um, which has been good because they've needed buckets and they're both averaging uh, 11 points a game. Actually, Patty's averaging 14 a game. Uh, Rudy's averaging 11. Um but the efficiency has been kind of hit or miss, boom or bust. And, um, you know, it's both of these guys in contract years. I will say, though, Rudy's defense has surprised me. 
Yeah. Uh, he still struggles on the perimeter. He's still not the fastest, but he's been one of the more switchable wing guys for the Spurs. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, people just like, I swear, you reach a certain age at the Spurs and all of a sudden fans are just done with them. <laughs> um, Rudy has been great. Now, you know, Rudy did this in his last contract year, had the season of his life, and then we saw what happened afterwards. Um, Look, I'm buying Rudy for the end of the year. I think Rudy's been great uh, for the most part. Saturday, he stunk. He had a really bad game Saturday. Just He looked, he looked like the back-to-back got to him. Uh, defensively, his handles, he like just wasn't there. Um, but overall, I'm buying this year, and then I'm selling. So I, I think that I think Rudy is, is a good part of this team's success. He's a staple of that second unit. Um, Rudy was somebody who you need in a matchup against the Grizzlies. You needed like three more Rudys, you know, like he just, that's what you kind of needed in that matchup. And the Spurs just didn't have enough of him. Uh, so, uh, I like Rudy, uh, for the year. I I don't see him with the team after this year. I think you're going to have to move on. You're just going to need the money to be used elsewhere, but, um, overall buying till the end of the year, then I'll sell. Then with Patty, buying and I think you're going to have to bring Patty back I I do I just think that I wish that Patty wouldn't take so many gambles defensively like look he's he's good for a hustle play here or there um he's he's good to get all up in your jersey sometimes and um create some disruption as you mentioned the Patty trap I highly suggest people read about that on kent5.com but um it's hard not to like what Patty's doing um he's been way more aggressive offensively nah, i mean he's going to the rim more probably not the greatest but i like it like a little bit um you know i think in transition he is really his worst ability at the rim um he gets caught most times where it's blocked or he kind of gets a little bit too quick for his own good but pat i mean look he is a better version of Bryn Forbes. Um, and, and the points per shot attempt are off the charts for Patty this year. And it is no surprise that when Patty does well, the team succeeds. He just, he is, he is really the guy that you, for most nights, the guy you can bank on to provide some three-point help. So I'm buying stock in Patty and, you know, I'm making – I'm making a, a three-year investment on him. I'm, I'm going to ride him out. I don't think he's going to get me a, a ton of money, but I, I, I like him. I think that he's somebody. And then I mean, that's not even factoring all the off-court stuff and him being a leader in the locker room and all that. Like, he, I mean, he, as a human being, he gets it. Um, but, like, he's not a perfect player, and the defense is a problem sometimes. Like, everybody just, like – you can't have just a bunch of two-way stars. Like we all want that, right? We all do. That's, you know, but other teams want them too and they cost money and it's hard to find the inventory of them. So give me the guy who hustles a lot, who is a hell of a dude and who hits a large percentage of his threes and has at least unlocked points per shot attempt this season into being an amazing player offensively. He has been. Right. I, I think like 
you know, he, he has his own value as a player. He has his own, and I, I think he's been a great guard overall. You know, the way he's initiating the offense this year with that second unit, I think has been quite impressive, honestly, uh, for a player of his size. But like if, if you could buy a stock that taught all of your other stocks how to be fundamentally better, you would do it, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Patty is. He's a booster for everybody else. He, he is, um, you know, just a really important leader on this team. So I think, uh, you know, even if this team holds on to all of their Patty shares purely out of sentimentality, it would probably be <laughs> worth it for them. Yeah. Um, now let's get to uh, some penny stocks, shall we? Some guys who haven't haven't played so much this year. Uh, more more garbage time minutes. Uh, but you know this this is where the value plays are, right? This is this is where you can get in uh, yeah. on the low if if somebody's on the way up. So we'll start with Trey Lyles, who uh, may have had the most uh, expensive. Uh, what was it? Gallbladder? Yeah. Surgeries uh, ever because I mean, he was or really, no, it was uh, appendix. Yeah, it was, it was appendix. My mistake. Uh, really expensive appendix surgery for him because he was ready to get going with these guys in the bubble after really growing in to that starting role with this team. And uh, we really haven't seen him play since. Um, so, uh, why do you think we're not seeing more of Trey Lyles? Uh, is it more complicated than just there are guys ahead of him? And what do you see with him long-term? He's got a, a year left on this mid-level exception deal. I just think, I mean, like, we're already talking about finding the cell minutes, you know? Like, there's just a lot of people, a lot of mouths to feed. Um, you know, you might be able to convince him next year, hey, like, you're going to get the Rudy Gay minutes, and we're going to bring you back for a year. In like a, in a show me deal, you know, like we'll, we'll tell you right now, we'll lock you into that opportunity. We'll get you 10 to 15 minutes per game, maybe more. Um, I will buy Lyle, assuming that Lyle will want to come back to San Antonio for cheap. I can't imagine another team is going to be itching to pay him a significant amount of money. Um, and if, a spot opens up, which I think you would do by letting Rudy Gay walk. I think he's worth a shot. I mean, he's a guy who can rebound the heck out of the ball, something that this team desperately needs, at least on defensive rebounds. I, I think, um, you know, he would be, if he got regular minutes, he would be their, their best rebounder. I think that the long layoff time has ruined his confidence with the three-point shot we saw last year. You know, he really got into a rhythm, and I, I think he started tapping into something. And now his confidence is shaking because he has no minutes. So how is he supposed to go out there and shoot the ball when he's getting, like, um, you know, some random important minutes here and there, and he doesn't want to make a mistake? So I'm willing to buy him on the, on the low – um, but not more than a year show me sort of deal. Um, you know, it could be a, sim- a similar one plus one sort of deal, but yeah, I mean, I-, I also don't think he came into camp in the best shape either. You know, I-, I think you really need to get his legs underneath him and maybe that's progressing, but 
as I mentioned before, it's going to get to a point where somebody, I mean, the Spurs, just like last year, have been healthy for the most part outside of Derek White. And at some point, someone's going to get injured. At some point, maybe the virus might affect the team. Either way, he'll, he'll have his opportunity. And he's just going to have to prove that he can do something with those chances. But, you know, what we saw last year, that should play well. And I, I think that he has, you know, he's not the scorer that Rudy Gay is. You know, that's the problem. It's like Rudy Gay can get buckets and he can get them by himself. Like Lyles, you know, can hit you with a Euro once in a while, but mostly he's trying to get a three-pointer. Um, so I'll buy not, not a lot, but I lean by versus let you know anything else. One guy with a uh, a more clear path to his stock rising is Luka Shamanich, who is going to be joining the Austin Spurs in Orlando. Actually, is there with them now? Um, you know, I I saw a lot of people see him get assigned and were like, "Ha, see a bust, stupid." Uh, I I can't get intel. We've we've we've, we've had this discussion so many times on this podcast, but uh, you know, Luka Shamanich was a buy and hold prospect. You oh, know, yeah. has been for his entire time in this portfolio. You know, you you don't sell uh, because you got in waiting for that potential rise. Uh, I think this is, you know, we'll see a little bit more what he can do this year in the G league with reps, Um, you know, and, and he's a project player for the Spurs. He is a down the road guy. Uh, So I'm, I'm keeping my, my shares of Luca. uh, And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you in three years. I'll, I'll see, we'll see where it's at. Yeah, then. I mean, like literally for me, I've always said like, we can talk about Luca at the start of next year. Like, and that's to begin talking about him, not, <laughs> not to analyze him, not to say he's a, he's a bust or whatever it might be. I mean, next year I want him on the Spurs. Like I just want him there. Like, it's, like I, I 1000% agree. He should be in the G league this year. We want in those little tiny slivers that we have seen of Lucas Shamanich. He's thinking. He's out there thinking he's not playing. And he's also thinking about making mistakes. He's just not confident out there. I need him to get his swagger back. So, or, or to get a swagger, period. His potential is enormous. He can dribble. He can shoot the three. He's, he, he could potentially be a three-way player at his size. Three ways? So, uh, three level, <laughs> three level score at his size. I like it. He's going to play offense, defense, and some other water boy fence that has not yet been discovered. My bad. Three level score. He'd be a three level score at his size. We still don't really know about his defense. Um, I think learning the help stuff and getting out of the perimeter is a bit of a struggle for him right now, but I mean, he's bulking up and filling into that size. I think that we're, you know, we're holding. That's it. We're holding. Like, I have no opinions of Luca. I'm excited to see him what he does in the G League. And 
we'll start bringing him up more next year when the season's starting. And I want him on the Spurs next year. That's it. That's all I ask. Yeah. If, if we're talking about guys with the potential for astronomical growth, he is the best example on this roster. Yeah. I get it. You uh, far from a sure Clark, thing. You want a Bra- yeah, you want a Brandon Clark. Yeah. I get oh, yeah. It. Brandon, Brandon Clark, who was great. Great in last player. night's game. Good player. Um, but I will remind you guys that Spurs got Kelvin Johnson 29 in that draft. And if the Spurs pick Brandon Clark at 19, that probably sets off a cascade that sends Kelvin Johnson elsewhere. Um, you know, so... If if you if you go and get your magical wish, and you know throw it in the well and say I I wish the Spurs had drafted Brandon Clark. Be careful what you wish for because you may wake up and find Keldon Johnson not on a Spurs roster in this hypothetical magical environment that we have created. Uh, so and, and for you know. for better or for worse, Brandon Clark would have had a tough time finding playing time. So you would have had yeah. two years where he just he didn't play much. And then next year would have been his year. Now, fair, unfair, pops out of touch, yada, yada, yada. I hear you. I get it. But like, that's I think he would have played a little more. I think he would have played a little more, especially with what they struggled with uh, last year. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Luka Shamanich still were, we're still far from uh, figuring out how the Spurs return on investment goes with him. Yeah. Um, Trey Jones is going to be going to the G League bubble as well. Excited to see him get some reps. I'm going to watch as many of those games as I can uh, just because I, I love seeing these young guys. Um, any, any thoughts on him? We haven't really seen too much. I mean, no, you know. I, I, got, I got no opinion. I mean, we got to see him just get – at least with Luca, we've seen him play in the G League for a year. Like, I'd like to see Trey get some significant minutes, right. get more comfortable. And the one time that he played this year when the Spurs were itching for some guard depth, he came in, didn't look good. I think he got a little – he was just more so overexcited than anything. He started doing things that he probably shouldn't have done. Um, and, yeah, so we'll see with him. I see the Spurs injury report has just come out. And LaMarcus Aldridge is out. So, oh. uh, interesting. Okay. Well, uh, late addition to the stonk market. Jakob Pertl stonks temporarily going up. Uh, did it say what it is? Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So it's injury, a right hip flexor soreness. Interesting. Okay. Um, um, I, I would, I would say this, that, um, tomorrow against Minnesota, I haven't seen their injury report. I'm assuming Carl Anthony Towns not playing right. Um, I'm not sure. But if Carl Anthony Towns is not playing, I think their starter is Ed Davis. Um, So, you know, they can probably get by playing Jakob and Drew if he needed to get LaMarcus a day. Um, Speaking of Drew Banks. I mean, we'll see what's going on with that. Uh, Drew had been out for a couple weeks with COVID protocol stuff, uh, is now back, got in at the end of the blowout, uh, got a, got a power dunk on his birthday. Uh, you think that moves the needle on his stonk at all? No. Um, you know, I like Drew. I think he's great depth. I don't think he's anything more than that. He has great things that he provides. He has weaknesses that we know of. 
I think he's perfect in that in a situation like tomorrow, right? Oh no, Lamarcus is out. All right, Drew will see some time. He'll be serviceable. Some games will be better than others, but he'll hold his own. And you know, that that's all we got there. And um, by the way, for the Timberwolves, um, Carl Anthony Towns is still out with health and health and safety protocols. Uh, and Culver is out with a left ankle sprain. So uh, Hernan Gomez and Angelo Russell are questionable. Oh, geez. And, okay. Na- and Nas Reed is probable. So Nas Reed, who evidently is the world's best three-point shooter against the Spurs, um, you know, As that's, a guy that, that's a guy that Drew is going to have to go up against. Drew doesn't really play well on the perimeter. So Nas Reed's probably going to have some good three-point options there. Something to look out for in tomorrow's matchup. All right. Well, we just got uh, through pretty much the entire Spurs portfolio. We should mention uh, Quindary Weatherspoon back for the Spurs. Uh, hadn't played through the season. We saw a little bit of Kata Bates uh, in that Memphis game as well. But uh, that, that basically gets us through what these Spurs are working with top to bottom here. And uh, after after the closing bell here, any after-hours trades you want to get in? Any uh, – any thoughts moving forward on, on the market this week? Um, we, I mean, we covered everything. My after-hours trade are throwing some money at John Collins on the Hawks and start tucking that away for later. Um, we'll get into more of that, but everything that we've been seeing with LaMarcus and how desperately this team needs a big, I think that in my head, in my head, I'm trying to imagine bringing DeMar back and finding a big who can space the floor still. John Collins is that guy. You probably have to overpay for him. I don't give a crap. Do it, and let's ride. But down the line, we'll discuss that. All right. Well, uh, I I think my biggest takeaway is that, uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs with this team, a, a whole lot of fluctuation, but – I really do think that fundamentally what they're building uh, has the potential to be quite special in today's NBA. So um, if they can really work to figure out the things that they are not doing so well, capitalize on the things that they do well, um, and it really comes down to that pick and roll defense um, from, from which everything else, good or bad, comes for this team. Um, you know, if, if they can start keying in on that and it might be a personnel thing, then they're in business. If they can't, I'm not sure where they're going this year. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I'm pretty sure it won't be good. So, uh, this, this team has a lot of real solid, uh, reasons to be buying, not just for the individuals, but for the team success. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that four seed, that might be the, the high watermark for the season. You know, they may, they may never get back to that, but uh, doesn't mean it's a bad stock, bad portfolio. There, there's still a lot to work with here. And uh, they've, well, they've they, shown some growth in the first quarter plus, and we'll see where it goes. Better days are ahead. If we would have had this podcast on Friday, Friday night, after the Nuggets game, we would have been 
Lake Stock is through the roof. All right. So to the moon, baby. To the moon, Bora Bora. Diamond hands. I'm not selling. But um, look, I, I, I'm somebody who doesn't get lost in a day-to-day. Everything deserves context. Uh, context. And it's just, so, it's just so easy. It's a low-hanging fruit to jump on top of the Spurs after a couple of bad games. You know, I just love all these people who come out of the woodworks when they stink and then they're all quiet after wins. Like, I'm sorry you don't have Tim Duncan, Mono Ginobili, and Tony Parker in town anymore. Like, you guys are spoiled for 20-plus years. Like, it's not every day that a franchise gets three Hall of Famers at the same time through the draft to grow and win championships together. It just, you know, um, the Spurs are building something. It's taking some time. They tried to develop a plan around Kawhi, and then he blew it up. So now the Spurs had to redirect into a new plan, and you're starting to see the last year of that phase happen. This is the last year of the bridge. Next year, when they have money in the cap space, and they can start building the team that they want, you're going to see this team to the moon. Rocket, baby. Um, um, but yeah, yeah just, I just, totally yeah, agree. Enjoy the success of this year. They're not winning a championship. Shocker. All right. Breaking, breaking anal- uh, analysis with that. But just enjoy it. Like they're, they're showing you a lot of good and there's some bad. But, but it, like the promise and the projectile that they're on is positive. So, like, they, they just brought back Derek White. Like, it's going to get better. It might get worse before it gets better, but it'll get better. Long term, it will get better. Celebrate the wins. Ignore the losses. Uh, and uh, buy the dips. Again, and this is not financial advice. This is not financial advice. I lick batteries for fun. But... I like the stocks. So uh, buy and hodl, and uh, we will see you on the next episode of the Big Fun Pod, the uh, Ken's Five podcast on the Spurs, the official station of the San Antonio Spurs. My name is Tom Petrini. You can find me on Twitter at Real Tom Petrini. There's a lot of fakes out there. Evan, where can people find you? At Evan Klotzke. I keep it easy for you. I'm not worried about the Very fakes. simple. Only one real one. And we're on Twitter at Big Fun Pod. These are also got uh, at Jackson Ken's Five uh, for your memeing pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll see you there. Uh, best of luck in the market, guys. Don't take any baths without me. Uh, and we will see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>